0: Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. The Director is Pete Chapman's digital studio, built on the pillars of craftsmanship that ensure a unique vision. I'm talking about story, innovation, perspective. Learn more about the director. And better yet, get your official director's chair wear by visiting www.drctr.video. That's drctr.video.
1: All right, all right, all right. Welcome to episode 37 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. I am your host, Pete Chapman, obviously, and uh, it is currently friday march 11th at 11 52 a.m uh i figured i would just hop on here real quick and give y'all um another mini craft episode i wanted to talk about blocking for television um i think it's one of the uh most it, interestingly enough you don't really have many um classes on it or conversations about it but i i believe that it's foundational element of what every director is going to do in any scene, really, uh, whether it's TV or film, um, blocking is directing in many ways, um, particularly in a world where a show has a way that it's shot, you know, a style, a DNA, and however you block it will dictate how that style of coverage plays out. And so I really find that Um, when you're going from show to show, blocking is directing, directing is blocking. And if you're able to have buy-in from the cast and crew on how you envision the people moving through the scene, then my friends, you will be in a position to find your uh, stamp or your vision on the show in the episode. So that is the deal. Um, Before we get into that though, I do uh, hope that folks, enjoyed last week's or the last episode it was a couple weeks ago at this point with sarah gamble uh that episode of course was entitled sarah gamble on screenwriting Showrunning, and netflix's hit series u and we got into uh a lot of talk about the process of uh, screenwriting of the hierarchy uh, in in the writer's room and uh, seeing things script to screen and holding on to your vision. So, I hope those of you that uh, haven't checked it out will go back and listen. It's a really good episode. And if you aren't following her, it's at Sarah Gamble, S E R A G A M B L E, on uh, Instagram. And she does a frequent Instagram stories. Q&A called ask me anything AMA you'll find it under in her highlights and she goes to town. um, uh, With honesty and candid responses so uh, check that out now I do have some questions uh, that I will answer from some folks in my ig story and uh i will go through those really briefly before we get to today's episode let us see we've got from at streets evangelist what separates a good director from a great one uh again i will preface i read these questions and i respond Uh, on the fly. So you're getting real answers uh, in real time. Um, I think what separates a good director from a great one is an understanding of story and an understanding of craft. I think you can't apply craft to a story you don't understand. Uh, It can be something that can be shiny and and slick and beautiful, but if it's not in service of what the story requires from you as a director, then it's really just putting, you know, icing on top of of a nothing cake. And I think that for you to understand story, um, then you can take the toolkit that you have as a director and really work creatively to enhance whatever is on the page. So, I don't think that you can interpret successfully as a storyteller or as a you know visual artist if you if you're not working hand in hand with that fundamental grasp of storytelling. Um, I also think you have to have a have a high level of curiosity. You have to be interested in a variety of different um, mediums. You know, uh, literature, music, art philosophy, you know, psychology, all of those things really do fold into the director's toolkit. And so uh, I urge you to be fluent in all of them, but don't, you know, become a master of none. (laughs) Um, What else do we have here? Let's see, at forever underscore Nina, what is your process to knowing what projects you agree to do? That's a great question. And I was having this conversation the other day with um, some emerging directors in the Sony program, um, as well as uh, some other directing friends. And in the beginning, honestly, I think when you don't have a job, uh, you can't be picky about a job. And so you're probably taking as anything that comes your way um hopefully you're very clear about what you want to do so even if you're doing a job that's not in your particular sweet spot for where you see your career um the people who you're with whom you're working are aware that you actually want to do this other thing so you could you know hire me to do this web series that's like a little bit of a horror you know or thriller and I'll be making sure at the same time that, you know, I want to do half hour single camera comedies and I can work on this with you and I can enhance my my storytelling abilities. But I can also um, make it clear that, you know, if something comes down the line, down the line, or you hear of anybody who needs someone that's interested in what I've told you I want to do. In this example, half hour single camera comedy, then it's a it's a win win. Yeah. If, as you move through your career and you start getting to a place where you know I think this is where I am actually where you are like okay it seems that people want to hire me uh it seems that people want to bring me back it seems that um you know the 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 net is go- casting wider and wider and 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 more and more people are interested that maybe I haven't met but the good word of mouth and the final product of a, of a good looking episode of television travels. Well, then I get, I think you get to the point where you're being selective about what your targets are and where you want to go. And so, you know, for myself, I've become interested in doing, I want to add a couple particular things to, to the resume, because I find that sometimes you go up for a job and people don't believe you can do something you haven't yet done. So I do want to, add a period piece to my resume and I want to add a really you know kind of high level action piece to my resume and I want to add a superhero uh, you know some kind of universe uh, piece to my resume so I'm really actively perhaps turning things down that aren't moving me toward those three things that I am looking to uh, add to my to my uh, skill set. And then at that point, you know, I'm making a I'm not saying no just to say no or or out of some, uh, uh, you know, idealist philosophy. It's because I want to leave room for these things that uh, I'm shooting for. And I can do it because I've got a little bit of a foothold in another space. And lastly, from uh, At Forever Nina, is there a difference between directing a show and a movie? And if so, what is it? This is another thing uh, we've spoken at length about. Uh, Sarah Gamble probably touched on it uh, in episode 36, but TV is the writer's medium and feature films are the director's medium. So you are really there in television to bring your unique vision and creative talents to complement the story that these showrunners and writers and creators have uh, conjured up long before you arrived in the feature film world, you're brought on board to present and execute a unique vision that gets this, you know, 90, 80 to uh, 200 page uh, script uh, to visualize it. So um, they're really looking for you to bring to life everything. And you're also working with actors who are more, uh, potentially more in a in a phase of discovery than on television, where perhaps if you're, you know, beyond the first, second, or third season, they've really begun to understand the character and have a have a better grappling, uh, a better handle on it than, than you do as a director. So those would be the main differences at Forever Nina. Let's see, uh, two more questions here. At Rel Williams underscore film life. How do you handle being overwhelmed when facing stressful situations in production? Uh, Great question, my man. Uh, How do I handle being overwhelmed? I prep, prep, prep. In the Ten Commandments of uh, TV Directing episode that I did a while back, I talk a lot about prep because... Uh, the quote is: "If you if you sweat and prep, you won't bleed during production." So I try and go through as many scenarios as possible. I try to imagine what might come my way from every direction. When I begin to solidify a perspective and a direction that I want to take each particular scene, then I start imagining, well, what will be the hurdles? What will I do if I run out of time? Uh, what are three or four different blocking scenarios that I could present to these actors? Uh, we'll talk more about that after, uh, after this Q&A section. And I just really try and imagine what the day looks like. Um, honestly, you know, I benefit from having the experience of, of having done this a while and knowing the variety of ways that a day could go wrong or, you know, Murphy's Law, uh, which is anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Uh, You know, seeing how that law rears its head. But it's really about the prep and it's really about being an authority over the material. So when you run out of time or when tempers get hot or whatever, you know, might face you in, in a given production day, you know what the North Star is and you can go back to the well, and figure out a solution that will be the best, even if it's out of, you know, like, even if it's a Sophie's choice, you know, it's like, I've got these three, not really great options, but of the three, option two is the best. And that's your job, to know how to pick the best option at any given time. So thank you, Rell Williams. Uh, underscore film life. And last but not least, this comes from Lindsay Scripps, who is uh, a friend of mine. What up, Lindsay? Uh, script supervisor over at Grey's Anatomy. She's also directed an episode of Grey's Anatomy. She's also co writing scripts with Zynga Stewart, who was a director guest on the podcast earlier. Lindsay wants to know, how do you utilize your agents and managers when you are first starting out? So the the answer there, in my estimation, is you've got to be really clear about what you want to do, where you would like your career to go. And uh, I think you utilize your, your agents and managers by asking them how you can get there. And if you have a clear path at least of the shows you wanna do, then they should be able to get you into the room to have the so-called general meeting. So I've probably talked about this before, but when I first got represented by uh, Stephen Marks at Dialed In Entertainment back in 2015, I put together a document that showed all the films, I'm sorry, all the TV shows that I was interested in across uh basic cable, premium cable, broadcast and streaming. So you're talking CBS, ABC, NBC Fox, you're talking TBS, AMC, uh FX, uh, et cetera. You're talking HBO, Showtime, uh stars, you're talking Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, et cetera. And some of those projects were were big swings. They were more aspirational. Um and others were uh, hey i think i could do a good job on this show and looking at the directors that they've hired in the past it seems like they hire people who are who are new and emerging information and research is key you can go on imdb look up all the directors of a of a particular show and get a sense of how realistic a shot you have at landing an episode. Um, maybe you need to add more of those on your target versus like succession. I hear people say, oh, I wanna do an episode of that. And, you know, I do too. And and I haven't found myself <laughs> over there yet. So, you know, I think that you have to be realistic um, and self-aware while still having big swings. And I think your your reps can set you up along a path of, meeting the people out on the town the folks who are at the uh various studios that are developing the projects the networks that pick them up and distribute them uh and the creators writers showrunners who who shepherd them uh along that whole entire pipeline and are the kind of creative conduit to the content um so i would make that list and i would uh you know see how many folks we can start meeting with and and build that awareness campaign of you know i am so and so i want to work on this kind of show here's my um you know my my bio and my life story my origin story and here's why i'm an asset to whatever you're working whatever you're creating you know i'm i have uh, a unique point of view that is exactly in line with what you're doing thematically and i think That's kind of the combination right there. So, thank you, Lindsay Scripps. Hope all's well with you. Hope to see you soon. Uh, And I hope you enjoy uh, this combo about blocking for TV. All right. So, here we are at the craft portion of the episode, we're going to talk about blocking for television. Now, first, we should always begin with the definition. I've got this from a, a NYFA, a New York Film Academy, nyfa.edu uh, blog post. Um, and when you find something that's pretty accurate, you take it. So they say uh, blocking a scene is simply working out the details of an actor's moves in relation to the camera you can also think of blocking as the choreography of a dance or a ballet all the elements on the set actors extras vehicles crew equipment should move in perfect harmony with each other so there are um seven points that I like to consider when I think about blocking um, and I'll just move through them. Uh, Part of this is excerpted from uh, my book Transitions. This is in um, my section on television director development programs, uh, page 197 for those who have it, who purchased the book. Um, But uh, here we go. So once you book your first episode of television, your next task will be to actually direct it. These are the questions that I ask myself for each and every scene after having completed all of the necessary prep work driven by the needs of the script. So question one, which direction provides the most depth for my master shot? Obviously your master shot is the scene that, I'm sorry, is the shot that represents the widest angle on the scene, it shows you the geography of the location or the set, it uh, should capture the entrances and exits of the characters, um, and it should relay all of the information that you need to while perhaps not putting a particular focus on it, because that's what your coverage is for, your close-ups, your over-the-shoulders, your singles, your two-shots, whatever it might be depth is your goal because this is film or tv um and it's visual medium it's a visual medium and it should be something that is interesting to look at so on any set i'm usually going to walk around and say okay oh if i put the camera back here i can look not only in this room but i see into a hallway all right i have uh You know, there are windows on that side of the set that we can shine some light through. I'd rather be looking in that direction than at this wall that just has the refrigerator. Um, So depth is about making sure that what you're doing is quite honestly interesting and, and pretty to look at. The second point would be, or the second question would be, which character has the most important entrance? Your master shot should ideally be angled toward receiving the entrances and the exits of your characters. If you have multiple entrances and exits, then you are faced with the challenge of identifying which entrance or exit most impacts the scene and the overall storytelling. This is a pretty hard and fast rule for broadcast television and basic cable but on premium cable and streaming platforms where there's more time and more money for nuanced storytelling, you may have a creative reason for going against this instinct." So um, what kind of examples can I think of that, that challenge that? Let's see, let's say you have a person coming in to a scene and they're your star and they're the most important person in the scene but they're talking to a group of people there might be one entrance in that case uh and I may have to make a decision about whether or not I want to focus my my master shot on that entrance or on the other people uh who will be there for The majority of the scene and then I can get a a special shot or a close up or that person's you know singular coverage to bring them in, these are the things to kind of figure out Um, every every scene will have its own particular logic, but which character has the most important entrance is a good rule of thumb to live by. Um, I'm sure there are a variety of, of situations where you break this rule or you, uh, you don't break it, but you, you, you look to uh, maybe step away from this idea because other parts of your story are better served by not following it. But when you walk onto a set, you walk into a location and you're trying to figure it out, I think this is a, a, a great checklist to consider. The third thing is which angle provides a view of the largest number of characters? Now, some scenes are so large, either in featured cast or scripted action, that answering the above questions may not yield the best coverage, like I was just mentioning. In these instances, you're ultimately governed by getting as much as you can in your master shot, knowing that your additional coverage will put eyes on the important beats of the scene. That said, like any concept or rule or guide, this should be ignored at times. Uh, so here's a here's a more specific example, actually, uh, now that I'm thinking about it. In my Silicon Valley episode, uh, which was episode 605, entitled Tefix, one of the opening scenes featured the Russ Hanneman character showing a video presentation to four members of the Pied Piper team. Rather than designing a master shot focusing on the four Pied Piper members, I placed the camera behind them, shooting over their four backs toward Russ. It was more important to put the audience in a position of Team Pied Piper receiving this crazy pitch than to angle on the largest number of characters. Um, and, you know, when you think about what the story was, it was really about them receiving the pitch. And there's something interesting about putting the audience in the shoes of the hero, uh, which would be Richard. Um, so that's one example. Um, the fourth consideration. What blocking, if any, helps to communicate the subtext of the scene? While the blocking will ultimately be a collaborative effort between you, the talent, the camera department, uh, and you know uh, whoever else might be impacted by what the script calls for, the first iteration of the actions each character will take in addition to what scripted will come from you what door or hallway will they enter from will they remain standing the entire scene move to the island in the kitchen make a sandwich get out of bed and pace who sits next to whom in the big dinner scene whatever you choose should be strategic and serve the following purposes one It should give the actors business connecting to the emotions of the scene. Two, it should keep the scene dynamic and visually interesting. And three, it should easily fold into the rest of your coverage for the scene. The dirty little secret, as I mentioned, of TV directing is that if you're really smart about your blocking and your master shot, you will be able to add your unique voice and vision to the episode. Once you fall into your 50 50 shots over the shoulders, close ups, et cetera, the show will essentially begin to shoot itself. So, if I go back to these uh, different examples within this point, or these different um, bullets or numbers within this point, I'll try and give you specific examples to consider. So, it should give the actors business connecting to the emotions of the scene. A lot of times in television, uh, we're often worried about page count. And so, This is my hunch. Uh, Writers can chime in or hit me with an email or message and let me know if I'm off base here. But a lot of times, um, stage directions are not very just very specific because it's taking up valuable real estate on the page. So rather than have two or three lines telling you exactly what I already know, the actor—I mean, the writers—imagine the actors would do, uh, the characters would do. It would just say so-and-so and and -and so-and-so are in the living room and then the scene begins. And so you and I know, and you and I mean the collective, all of you listening that you can't have uh, two people just be in the living room doing nothing. So some blocking might be, well, what if I put this in the kitchen and I have one of the characters making a sandwich and they're avoiding the conversation uh, with the busy work here. Um, You know, folks talk about the scene in Raging Bull um, where the steak is being cooked and there's a big argument between uh, De Niro's character and his wife and the act of cooking that steak and burning that steak is uh, subtext. The scene is not about the steak, but it's a great bit of business that underlines what is emotionally going on between these two people. The second point in here, it should keep the scene dynamic and visually interesting. You do not want to watch two people basically be potted plants in your coverage. So you want them to move around. Uh, if some shows will kind of have a policy where they won't, they don't really want the camera moving unless the actors are moving. And so if you know that going in from your tone meetings and your and your prep, then it would be a very good idea to have people moving uh, if you want to find a way to get the cameras to move. Other shows are very happy with a drifting camera or, you know, a camera that is active and following the actors no matter what they're doing or becoming a bit of a character in the scene. But all of that is enhanced and complemented and elevated by uh, having the actors move around. Uh, obviously, the big challenge in television as uh, the what was that episode thirty five where uh, I think I said speed is the is the currency in television directing, you don't want to create too many different axes that or axes um to cover the action. so if uh, if I am talking to someone and we're looking at each other and we're on a on a straight line, if that person, you know moves, to their right, um, that can create another angle that we have to shoot, um, depending on the style of coverage. And so a lot of times you wanna keep people on the same axis because then you have fewer shots. A thing that I've learned uh, across different shows that want a lot of uh, movement and action, but maybe don't have a lot of time to capture that is having actors replace each other in uh, the other's blocking. So you might have, uh, here's just an example. You might have three, uh, four people at an island uh, in the kitchen. And let's say one uh, is on the side without the chairs. The other three are seated in stools. And then let's say um, the refrigerator is behind the person uh, opposite the three people. And let's say the person in the middle gets up walks to the refrigerator um, grabs a drink and that happens on a beat where the person who is talking to the other three people uh, is getting to an element of dramatic importance and then maybe they move and go sit where that person who went to the fridge was previously sitting and then the person who went to the fridge comes and takes the blocking of the person who was talking to the three people originally, but now they're making a sandwich. And that keeps the dynamic because your eye is now seeing different characters in different positions um, without the camera having to move. Um, so it progresses the scene, interestingly. And uh, actually, that is something I did specifically in an episode of Gronish um with um Yara Sahidi's character talking to um, Chloe, Hallie, and Emily Arluck um, in their apartment. So that was in season two. So a little trick if you're interested.
0: Hi, this is Sarah Gamble. I am the co-creator and showrunner of the Netflix series, You. You are listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Transitions. A Director's Journey and Motivational Handbook is Pete Chapman's book from Michael Weezy Productions. What started in 1993 has been a marathon of persistence and creative pivots, transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school, to running a production company, to directing television and commercials, and ultimately eyeing a return to the feature films that gave him his start. A mixture of how-to, Self help and inspiration. This book is for any person targeting a successful career in the creative arts. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook from Michael Weezy Productions.
1: So, the let's see, I think I've hit four points, right? I've hit four already. So, the fifth point here is. How can I keep this blocking positioned in a style where it can be captured with the fewest additional camera angles? So I'll just kind of get down to the basics of what I touched on in the previous point, but uh, understanding the 180 degree line is important. Have your characters move all you want, but understand that if they pivot and move downstage, upstage, or cross the invisible line, you may be committing yourself to additional shots. Coverage in television means every shot you have on one character is, quote, unquote, matched on the other side with the other character. And I can't tell you how many times that I've seen directors fail to make their day because they overcomplicated their blocking. So that's uh, something to make sure you're on top of there. Um, I'm somewhat molding many answers into each one of these points, but I do want to kind of carve out the the fine points and the uh, more direct specific uh, sentences regarding these different things. All right. Point number six, when considering blocking for television, how does the show tend to shoot scenes like this? Now, you'll have actually answered this question before any of the above, any of the above things we've talked about. Uh, In your prep, you will have watched enough episodes of the show to know exactly what the style is so you can work within that framework. Since uh, we answered a question from Lindsay Scripps in the QA, uh, I'll mention that on Grey's Anatomy, where she's the script supervisor. Uh, Debbie Allen likes what she calls a functioning master, which is basically a master shot that starts wide enough to establish the set or location, then develops into coverage, allowing the camera to move and the scene to be shot with a little more speed. On Blackish, I know that Kenya liked the two shot for much of the comedy and when possible to avoid having characters moving while delivering a joke so the audience doesn't miss it. One insecure, Issa Rae typically did not want the camera moving unless the actors were moving. So all of these different stylistic guidelines are guide rails as you design your blocking and coverage for every scene. In consideration of the idea of like the two shot, when I knew once I you know, became aware of that on Blackish. I knew that there would be a great deal of uh, value in where I would sit people, in particular around the conference room in Stevens and Leto. And I can think of one episode in particular where, you know, um, it was uh, Wanda Wanda Sykes was in the scene, Dionne Cole, obviously Anthony Anderson, Peter McKenzie, uh, Jeff Meacham, all the regular cast of characters that are in that uh, conference room. But as always, Dre was, uh, recounting the issue at home. Uh, then, then, uh, Charlie has his point of view, (laughs) which is always outlandish and funny. Uh, and then, um, Wanda Sykes character had her point of view. And I just knew that if I, the, the real freedom I have is not how that scene gets shot because it's kind of a, a set piece that has a rhythm that you're expected to meet. But, um, where I sit people would be where the joke might lie. And so I knew in this particular scene, it would be funnier to have Dion and Wanda next to each other as opposed to Dion and Anthony next to each other, which is how I typically might've blocked that scene. Um, So these are little things that you can carve out to enhance and elevate what's happening on the page. That's your interpretation of the director and, those are the little moments that maybe go unnoticed, but I think uh, they can help elevate a joke or or heighten the drama or whatever it might be. Lastly, the seventh thing that you want to consider uh, when you're blocking for television is how important is this scene to the episode? Is this a montage piece? Is it the culmination of a multiple episode story arc? Is it setting up a storyline that will be explored further down the line? Being able to weigh the importance of a scene will help you decide how much time and how many resources you want to devote. When I directed the season 17 mid season finale for Grey's Anatomy, there were some scenes that I shot as a wonner, while others I spent a significant amount of time on while still making my day because I knew they had tremendous weight not only for the characters for the audience. Of course, there are many more decisions that come into play, but these seven questions above center me, allowing me to focus on a perspective from which to approach the scene and furthermore design the episode. So in summation, let's just go back and touch on those seven points again to consider when you're blocking uh, your coverage for television. Point one, Or question one, which direction provides the most depth for my master shot? Question two, which character has the most important entrance? Question three, which angle provides a view of the largest number of characters? Question four, what blocking, if any, helps to communicate the subtext of the scene? Question five, How can I keep this blocking positioned in a style where it can be captured with the fewest additional camera angles? Question six. How does the show tend to shoot scenes like this? And question seven. How important is this scene to the episode? So that's my breakdown on designing your blocking and coverage for television. I hope you find that useful. This is episode 37 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Uh, Episode 38 will be coming soon. Uh, I have a few interviews to try and schedule, so it's been pretty, pretty hectic uh, between uh, shooting and editing and uh, everything related to um, work. But... That's what uh, gives me the information to come back and tell y'all things. So uh, I'm going to wrap this up now. I got to actually hop in the car and get the set. We've got a a table read and a a 2.30 p.m. call. Uh, So we'll be shooting into the evening. But take that into the weekend with you and uh, everybody listening. Remember, stay safe, spread love, and of course, keep creating. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N.